Reverend Carla, and welcome to Spirituality Matters, a podcast that focuses on the intersectionality of spirituality and humanity. Let's settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. The team asked me to speak about community this week. And what I came up with is the title of this podcast and the blog, which is Using Your Voice for Good. Now, the blog by the same name is also up. You can find that at numasoul.com. But today's episode is really speaking to people who have never used their voice or spoken out or stood up for the oppressed because I see you. And I know how hard this is. I do understand, but this might get a little uncomfortable today as we talk about a few things that we just need to address. So I invite you to stay here and listen, because I do think this is an important conversation. And just right out of the gate, we're going to go for it by saying that church doesn't teach us how to be advocates. They teach us how to be evangelicals at least for the many, many of you who follow here or follow me on social media, you have a similar background as I have, which is the church taught us how to evangelize, how to welcome people to church, how to talk to people about accepting Jesus, but not as being as an advocate and being on a mission trip isn't the same. And in your uh, show notes for this week, I've included an article or two about why uh, there is a danger about mission trips and why so many of them are not helpful. So please pay attention to those show notes this week. You might find some of those articles interesting. But there's a difference between, of course, evangelizing, evangelizing to get people to come to church and advocating, advocating for something. And the way I describe or define an advocate's role is where we are using our resources to elevate the human condition, to heal a broken part of this planet, or to do something nice. If you just want to break it down to the just the smallest level, but integral level of our society is doing something nice for another human. So that is what being an advocate is about. That's about being a supportive, kind, compassionate person. And a lot of times the church teaches us that that has conditions. The church would teach us that in order to be nice or kind to someone, the first hoop that they have to jump through is through the one that says, come to church. And not always. I'm not saying, of course, that not that everyone goes to church is their their actions towards you is conditional on what you believe. That's not true. And I don't believe that as well. But for many of us, we have seen that experience where if you don't believe as I do, if you don't have the same values, if you don't vote as I do, then our acceptance of you is conditional. So an advocate's role is very different. And that leads to uh, a definition of sacred activism. And you've heard me talk about this quite often. I never really heard that term until I was in seminary. And I heard it in a discussion that we were talking about uh, Andrew Harvey. And if you don't know who Andrew Harvey is, 
is, again, go to your show notes. You'll find all kinds of information about him in there. But I'll read a quick uh, blurb about his bio from his website. Andrew Harvey is an internationally renowned religious scholar, spiritual teacher, and the author of more than 30 books. He is the founder and director of the Institute of Sacred Activism. Now, that whole website has some amazing information there. You should go check it out. But here is how uh, Harvey describes or defines sacred activism. Sacred activism is a transforming force of compassion in action that is born of a fusion of deep spiritual knowledge, courage, love, and passion with wise radical action in the world. The large-scale practice of sacred activism can become an essential force for preserving and healing the planet and its inhabitants. I love that. So... There you have your definitions of what it means to be an advocate, what it means to be a sacred activist, and go learn more about it at at Andrew Harvey's uh, website. And I'm not here to guilt you into thinking that you must be as loud as the loudest advocates or that you have to be uh, the leader on center stage or, or like a lot of us who make our videos and our write our blogs about being an advocate or taking a position like that against some kind of social justice issue or anything like that. We know that that's hard. We also know that you can't even like share, comment, or anything because of the consequences that you'll suffer in your life. I know people and I've had people reach out to me to say that I, I'm being stalked. I'm being trolled by my family members, by my church members that who actively watch what their members are doing to keep them in line with that belief system because they're so threatened. They being the church leaders or uh, anybody who's in power is threatened by the messages that people are getting out here that they're so afraid that if you listen to another another person's point of view or you actually start to make sense that they'll lose some members. So what they do is actively go out and see who their members are following, who their members are engaged in social media. It is a real thing. People are getting called in to in into accountability for into church leadership because they liked a post or they found out that they followed something that doesn't necessarily go with uh, their church values. So they're afraid to engage, but they're silently supporting because those are the people who either have by finances, something about their position in their life cannot allow them to move away from the system of oppression that they're a part of. So in other words, a patriarchal power structure has got them in a position where they can't take a stand. And I get that if it's a financial uh, burden or something, because you are in a place where someone has uh, power over you because of finances, then you don't have the choice to be out here and be vocal. If you're going to suffer some kind of consequences, it's what we always say to people to be as loud as you possibly can be, to be as authentic as you can be in your life in as much as it's safe for you to do so. If you're financially dependent on someone who doesn't agree with you, then it isn't safe. If somehow you could lose your livelihood, your your shelter, your physical safety, then it isn't safe for you. And we certainly understand that. 
But a couple of things that have happened over the years that I want to talk about that I think that all of us uh, who are deconstructing from some level of Christianity, most of us came from like a fundamentalist, apostolic, conservative, evangelical Christianity, which very much does have high control systems inside them. And a lot of them are very vocal about how they feel about uh, especially issues around historically uh, marginalized I issues and things like that. So we know how our church, what our church's position is on that. So we've come from that and we're just learning how to find our voice. We're just learning how we show up in the world. And that's scary. How, how, how do you do that? But here's some things that have happened over the years. And I want to talk about this. Most of you are going to know the name of this church, Westboro Baptist Church. They have been not as much now, but for a long time, they were in the news for a, a while for their radical and extremist views related to the LGBTQIA plus uh, community, mass protests at uh, funerals for fallen soldier uh, people that have been in the armed forces. They were known to uh, celebrate the attacks, the, sept the September 11th attacks, saying that because America is a fallen nation who is embracing sin, that we deserve these things, that it's celebrating because to them, it's hastening the kingdom of God to come forth. So they think that these things are need to happen to punish the sinful and to make to clear out the bad get rid of the debris of all of that so that the kingdom of god can come in and only the only good will prevail they just think these things are going to continue to happen we have tolerated this nonsense for years Part of it was that they were allowed to protest across the street and be really loud and obnoxious at the funeral of uh, fallen soldier people, like, as I said, because of this whole thing about free speech. But there's also been, that doesn't mean that you are free from the consequences of those, of, of your free speech. So in other words, we just said, oh, that's a small faction of Christianity that doesn't really represent the rest of Christianity. So we're just going to let them be. They have the right to free speech. They have the right. They're just one little church, right? Well, that's not true. Through that portal, through that portal was other, the peppering of these extre extremist views have been building in this nation for years. So instead of looking at that through the thing like, oh, just don't pay them any mind, what should have been happening, and I'm going to, I admit that I'm just as guilty in this. What should have been happening is saying, you know what, who are these members? Let's not, I don't want to be support their business. I, I want their people to know that they're, you know, if he, if he works at a restaurant or they own a restaurant, I'm not going to go to that restaurant. I'm not going to support these people with these radical views. So in other words, you have this view, there are consequences to these views. And we didn't do that. We tolerated their existence in our world because we just saw them as just a very small percentage. Now, who is on the front stage? Who is the pastor of Donald Trump? Paula White, Greg Locke, some of the most radical extremist preachers with the same worldview as the Westboro Baptist Church. They're no longer the tiny little church that's a microcosm of Christianity. They are front and center as the face of Christianity. When the world looks at America, that's the Christianity that they're seeing.
So this, it didn't just birth from Westboro, but if people had seen the way the world, the way America was going to stand up against these kinds of extremist views and thoughts, have those views all you want, have those views all you want, but you keep it in your church. Because even though you have the right, your first amendment is protected by you having the right to, to protest at a funeral, doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer worldly consequences from that. And we should have been more mindful to that. And we didn't. And we thought that our politicians in the end would would be taking care of us. And we fell asleep. We became complacent, thinking that the, the government was on autopilot. Instead, these extremists were infiltrating our government system to make sure that the voices like the Westboro Baptist Church are now amplified and on center stage. Now we're playing catch up to figure out how we're going to get in front of that to ensure that this doesn't happen again. So we have to make sure those of us who have, who are allies and advocates and need to use our voice for good, need to do so at the level that we can. But what isn't an option is to do nothing. Even if that means that we have to do it in a way that, it, whether it's writing letters or something like that, do it in a way that we that we're comfortable, but to do nothing is no longer an option, no longer an option. And when I say comfortable, again, I'm not talking to the person who will suffer real world consequences, who are threatened by their financial safety or risk physical harm because they stand up against something in their, their, they don't, in their, their agency right now does not allow them to do that. But for the rest of us, we have to do something. It is time for us to find our voice in some level. And again, it's not, you don't have to be out here making podcasts about it, but there is something that you can do. And we'll talk a little bit about more about that later, but you think about the Lauren Boberts and the Marjorie Taylor Greens, even the Mike Braun and the Mike Pence. Let's just talk about what they've talked about lately. Here's what Lauren, Bo Lauren Boebert said last year about uh, Ilhan Omar. Now, Ilhan is the, the representative in Congress who Boebert has gone against several times. She told a joke at a gathering and you can find the video. I'll try to uh, remember to link it in the show notes because I, I think I did. I'm not sure where she talked about getting on an elevator with Omar and joked to say, well, she doesn't have a backpack. So I guess we're all safe today. She went on to say, hey, we only got one floor to go. So let's just go, go ahead. We're probably safe. And then she said she joked to someone else in the elevator that said, don't worry, it's just her staffers on Twitter that talk. She's not tough in person. None of that happened, according to Omar. And I don't believe it did either. It, it, it would be very cruel, if it, uh, beyond imagination, but also not below Bobert. Marjorie Taylor uh, Greene, who constantly talks about supporting the don't say gay bills, which basically means that you can't talk about LGBTQIA plus people in any kind of educational forum. Yes, Florida talks that it's only K through three, I believe, but the the trickle down effect of that is that this kind of legislation is happening across the United States. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is not only a mouthpiece for it, she's a mouthpiece for anything that Christian nationalists stand for. And Christian nationalists, first and foremost, is for perpetuating a system where patriarchy is in place and only the white, Christian, cisgendered, able-bodied male will be on top. That's it. That's what Christian nationalists stand for. Mike Braun uh, from Indiana, who's now running for governor and who will more than likely win, 
who said that interracial marriage should not be decided by the Supreme Court, that interracial marriage should be decided state by state. Now, we're not talking about ancient history here. I believe it was in the 70s when interracial marriage became legal in this country in the first place, and he wants to reverse that. Again, extremist views coming from these things that we have tolerated with zero consequences, with zero consequences years ago. Mike Braun is a millionaire multi-times over because of his industry uh, that his family is in. Now, why? how has this, this radicalized person been able to prosper at the way he has is because we've tolerated it. We tolerate this patriarchal system that allows these white people to have whatever views they want. And we continue to just work in this system as if that's, that's okay. And it isn't anymore. Uh, Mike Pence, there is a video clip that I'll put in the show notes where he's talking about what he says freedom from religion is. The uh, freedom from religion basically means that I can exist in this world alongside you without you being able to force your beliefs on me. He twists the words in a way to say that the radical left believes that freedom from religion means freedom from religion, when in reality, it means that we are free to express our Christian views because we are a Christian nation. That is how he's interpreting freedom from religion. He said that on Fo during a Fox News interview, and that's exactly the belief of, of the Christian nationalists, that the Christian belief system should mandate everything, should permeate through everything that is in our world from not only our religious systems, our educational systems, and our politics. How many of them uh, in Congress want the Bible to influence our governmental policies, our nationwide policies? Very concerning. Just recently, we know that Missouri just passed the dress code for women, uh, that Texas women right now, uh, the death rate for specifically Black women is rising at such a a ridiculous rate after all the restrictions to uh, access to birth control, which is exactly what everybody predicted would happen. This just keeps going. There's a video I'm going to give you that's in the show notes about an Oklahoma superintendent who says he's going to stalk libraries who have woke books on the shelves. A superintendent of a school of course, we know what's happening with the drag queen story hours. And let's just get this straight. Rapists and child predators are not at the drag queen story hours. It's not happening. The children, if you've ever seen any of the videotapes from these, from these story hours, the children see magic and wonder. And the people who are there are also giving it back. They're also finding wonder and surprise and love in the children. But here's the truth. Your child is more likely to be a victim of grooming by the man bringing them to story hour than the drag queen. And ouch, that hurts. But that is the truth. That is the truth. Once again, and I've said this before, to think globally, act locally, because that's how we stay informed, because what's happening in your state, what's happening locally, what's happening on your school boards, who can you trust? That is so important, and this lends itself back to not only using your voice for good, but what is your position on, on being a sacred activist? What does it look like for you? Now, here's something. Here's the way you can gauge where you are with your sacred activism. How are you using your voice? Ask yourself this question. At what point 
in your life, are you shutting your blinds to your neighbor's pain? At what point, at what point do you stop thinking that you can act? So you shut your blinds to your neighbor's pain. And that's in reference to the people who shut their blinds as their Jewish neighbors were uh, dragged off by the Nazis during World War II, because that's, that's what happened. And here we are again. So at some point, here's what I'm not asking you to do, because it's almost counterproductive. And that's what the whole blog is about this, this week is um, I'm not going to ask you to take your argument to social media. <laughs> please don't, please don't do that. I don't know what I was doing. I'm getting up really early to write on uh, my book. I don't know if I've brought that wonderful news here, but I am writing a book and it's been a great experience. Uh, and I love it, but I get up early to do my writing session and I happened to just see, I got a notification that Heather Cox Richardson, of course you, I've mentioned her before. She's a renowned political historian. Uh, she's a professor. She's an author. I know she just, uh, just sent her Latin, her next re- manuscript for her next book in and just an amazing writer and her post came in and I saw it and I just want, I wanted to say something about Christian nationalists and extremist Christianity. And before you know it, my phone's lighting up. It's going crazy because people didn't like that I called Christian nationalist extremist Christians, not because they didn't agree with it, but because they said that they are not Christians. They are not Christians. Don't call them that. That is dangerous thinking because that allows you to once again, like we did with Westboro, put them in the corner of your town and say, oh, well, they don't count when they are the ones who are destroying our country. So by not calling them Christians, we're not aligning them with the Lauren Boberts, with the Marjorie Taylor Greens, with the Matt Gates, with the Mike Pence and the Mike Bronze and the Ron DeSantis and whoever, Greg Abbott and on and on and on it goes. But these extremist Christian nationalists have their base in this theology. They absolutely do. Now I've done a, I have a whole series of videos that I've done on this on TikTok and it's in a playlist. You can go, it's called Christian Nationalist. You can go watch this where I talk about this in great detail and how this has been brewing since the seventies. But I went back and forth with a few people and until a couple of them were just going to keep doubling down, which happens so much. You're not I knew that, but a couple of them did say, yeah, I I get your point, but do you know how exhausting that was? And that is, and I remember thinking, dear Lord, what have I done? Why did I do this? I have so much to do and I'm not going to get anywhere with this kind of keyboard warrioring. But at the end of it, you think, ha, I really did something there. I really showed that person in Virginia that I know my stuff when I could have taken that 20 minutes or whatever it was and really did some did something good write letters to my legislatures go find a gofundme to help somebody who's really advocating go spend 20 minutes reading on the human rights uh, council website or the trevor project or any other number of places americanunited.org and 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 read about what, what's happening and what we can really do. Go pick up a book by Andrew Seidel, The Founder's Myth, and read how we got here. Do any of those things except think that you're actually contributing 
to this by keyboard warriory because you're not. And it, it's so, it's so tempting, isn't it? It is so tempting, but there are so many more things that you can do with your time that might take you out of your comfort zone just a little. And the truth is a lot of us need to come out of our comfort zone just a little, don't we? A lot of us need to have that space to be able to say, you know what, I'm comfortable doing this, but this is going to stretch me a little bit. And I'm going to have to learn a little bit to be able to talk eloquently. So I know all the facts. And then I'm going to send this letter. I'm going to reach out to this person and ask questions and see what I can do. And friends, I know, I know this is hard. I know that staying awake and becoming informed to impact change is hard. And I'm going to encourage you to be one of the people who continues to use your voice for good by finding us here, amplifying our voices where you can, but also figuring out what it is that you can do. And we'll be talking more about that this year. It's very important that we do. So I'll do this. And I want to end with the song, If You're Out There. I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. It's from John Legend. But this, these words, I listened to this song on my way to be ordained. And it says, if you hear this message, wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation. We cannot afford to wait. The future started yesterday and we're already late. There is victory if we stay awake and stay informed. Okay, thank you for listening, beloved. You can find show notes wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you'd like to watch the uncut version of today's episode on my YouTube channel, then subscribe and check back often for new content that will be coming up daily. Not daily weekly. Check out Patreon to join Numa Soul membership and access unique opportunities, including bonus content. I'll be having live Q&A sessions there. And this is a place where you can find community of spiritual, but not religious souls, just like yourself. I also invite you to connect with me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can find all of those links at revcarla.com or Numa Soul Center for Spiritual Transformation at numasoul.com. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you. I pray you receive something because I know I did. The teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love. May you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply, unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week, and I'll see you soon.